Romans, back in Romans 15, um, and um, go through this this morning. We've been looking at uh, Romans 14 and 15, from the 14.1 through chapter 15.13, there's been this, this whole discussion about the strong and the weak. Uh, our brother that was here with Bob last week, he suggested that the weak were the Jews and the strong were the Gentiles. Um, I think that's a good explanation. I think it goes farther than that. I don't think you can necessarily say it was one or the other. I think it has to do with spiritual maturity. Uh, and by the way, as we know, spiritual maturity has nothing to do with age. Uh, there's old believers that are immature, and there's young believers that are much more mature. And so uh, it has to do with those that are uh, strong. In chapter 14, uh, the whole argument there was about foods and days, being careful not to offend your brother one way or the other. Um, and then in chapter 15, uh, the strong, we ought to bear with the scruples of the weak, help the weak. Um, we are not to please ourselves. We are trying to do everything we can to edify those that are maybe struggling with certain issues and maybe see things differently than we do. Our, our goal is not to crush them and to break them, but it, it is to lead them along and teach them and to help them. And so uh, we see in verse 3, for even Christ did not please himself, for it is written, the reproaches of me, those reproaches fell on me. So here's our great example of Christ, that um, if he was able to, um, to set his own will and desires apart and help those, uh, he certainly had the right uh, as the king of kings and lord of lords, but he chose not to do that. And then in verse 4, it says, whatever things we've written beforehand were for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. We started looking at this uh, a little bit last week. The, um, uh, we have hope, joy, and peace. The scriptures, obviously, they're talking about the Old Testament scriptures. And whatever things were written in the past, specifically the Old Testament, were written for our learning um, and they were written for our comfort in verse 4, and uh, they give us hope. And it's certainly the same thing is true of the New Testament today, that whatsoever things were written were for our learning, that we could learn. Paul's going to talk about that when we get later on in the chapter, that we can, uh, that we can have patience and comfort of the Scriptures. Uh, certainly, uh, when you think about Darla and what she's gone through, uh, really the only hope we can give her is the hope of Christ, and we learn through that through the scriptures. And we can comfort one another uh, with certain scriptures and certain promises that God has made that he will never leave us. His grace is sufficient. And uh, that is what Paul has in mind here. And then he says, The God of patience and comfort grant you to be like-minded towards one another, uh, we started looking at this last week. Here Paul expands his thoughts of God's comfort and patience to exhortation, to be like-minded. Uh, the, um, the word here has the idea of thinking. Uh, it means to have the same thoughts, feelings, and purpose. Uh, we might even say the same goals. Uh, listen, all of us aren't going to think exactly the same way. We don't need to think the same way. And that's, what they're, that's what he's saying here. It's our goals as a church and our thoughts as a church. Do we want to see Christ as a general rule, obviously edified? Do we want to see uh, the brethren lifted up? 
that's what we uh, what he's talking about. He says, remember here, the context is dealing with the strong and the weak. So he says, be long-minded, that is, towards the weak. Um, we are to set aside our own views on non-essential issues, to seek the unity uh, and peace in place of turmoil. There are certain things that we may hold strongly to, but really they're not for the edification of the body. Uh, again, I'm, I just remind you, Paul's not suggesting here that we should think exactly alike or somehow we should act exactly the same way. Um, he's already acknowledged that there's differences between the weak and the strong, uh, Jews and Gentiles. Um, someone once said, if we all think alike, that only one of us is needed. So um, we, that's not what he's talking about here. He's talking about having the same goals, the same thoughts, the same care uh, for one another. Uh, any church uh, needs men with diverse thoughts and talents and gifts. We need people who think differently about music. We need people who think differently about teaching, about leadership. Uh, so that's not what he's talking about here. Uh, what Paul is getting here, I think, is pretty, is our petty disputes, is put away petty disputes from you that um, the body uh, and, and put away personal preferences uh, for the sake of others. Um, look at Romans 16, 7. Uh, Paul's going to address this when Ty gets there, but I'll just jump over there first. Paul says, um, well, and I wrote down the wrong passage. Uh, oh, yeah, I urge you, brethren, note those who cause division and offenses contrary to the doctrine which we have learned and avoid them. And so uh, there are going to be times of division. Uh, Paul wants us to, uh, to be united and be uh, as one-minded as possible. Uh, let me make a note here in my notes, Chris. Thank you that so I don't forget that at a later date. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, it is a good version that there, there are some people that you shouldn't even be around, right, or that cause division. You certainly don't want them in positions of leadership or uh, positions of teaching. Uh, so uh, anyway, uh, the, uh, I think uh, John Gill said uh, in his commentary um, that um, we are to uh, seek to be meek and humble, condescending in goodness and equal love and affection to all of its members. That's what, that's what Paul was saying here that we care for one another, that we care for how we treat one another, and that we show respect uh, for one another uh, as, we, as we take care of one another. Um, the purpose here in verse 6 is that be like-minded so that we may uh, with one mind and one mouth glorify God, the Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. This is the purpose as a church so that we can glorify God together. And uh, I think that we always need to keep that purpose in mind. Let me look here. Our God, glorify God with one mouth and one mind. We might think together correctly, and I think the one mouth, certainly, what would you think that has to do with? What was it? God, but I, I think it has to do with our prayers or our praise. 
I think as one mouth as we glorify God together in unity that we, we are saying the same thing and we're glorifying God and praying the same thing and having uh, our praise uh, uh, toward God. Paul says in verse 6, one mouth um, and one, it's the prayer and praise of our conversation. Albert Barnes says this refers doubtless to the prayers and praises that they might join without contention and unkind feelings and worship of God. Division, stripes, and contentions in the church prevent union in worship. And I would add union in purpose also, right? That they cause that purpose. Um, nations together yeah and especially as a body right we start with the body and then we work out from from here uh, to the church universal uh, it is important here Paul kind of continues with that thought therefore receive one another just as Christ also received us to the glory of God uh, what's there's a saying um, to dwell To dwell above with saints I love, that will be glory. To dwell below with saints I know, that's another story. And um, so that's what Paul's getting at here. Paul's getting at, look, there are people that are going to be difficult, but to do our best as a church and as, as individuals. Uh, in verse 7 here, he says, receive. The word receive means, um, it's the same word used in chapter 14, verse 1. Receive one who is weak in the faith, uh, but not to dispute over doubtful things. Paul is saying, go out of your way to be receptive. Go out of your way, um, personally and willingly accept one another. Uh, and, of course, our example is what? If the perfect son of God, sinless son of God, was willing to save us at great cost to himself, how much more should believers saved by sovereign grace be willing to accept one another? And, and I think Paul reiterates that, obviously. We won't take time to look there in Ephesians 4 where he talks about forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. So he's working his way through here. Again, in context, this is the end of his letter. He's, this is his final words, as it were, to the church or churches at Rome. And... Uh, He's given his doctrinal exhortation. Now he's given his practical ex exhortation. Do the best you can to live at peace with one another uh, within the church. So any thoughts on that before we move on? Tim? Well, yeah. It's obvious that maybe a church business meetings didn't listen to Paul. Maybe that's the other side of it. So, yeah, but here's, we, we need to go out of our way, out of our way to seek unity as, as much as possible. Um, all right, any other thoughts? All right, verses 8 through 12, let's just read that uh, here. He says, uh, now I say that Jesus Christ has become a servant to the circumcision for the truth of God to confirm the promises made to their fathers and that the Gentiles might 
glorify God in his mercy as it is written. So two reasons here is divide the Jews and the Gentiles. The Jews have received, uh, they have come to the circumcision, the truth of God to confirm the promises. The Jews have been given the promises of God. And then to the Gentiles, they've been given, notice there, the God's mercy. Obviously, both have received mercy in the big picture. But the promises of God, we've already seen this earlier in, in uh in, uh, in Romans, that they all came through the fathers. They came through uh, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. So in these five verses, the apostles appealing for unity, specifically between Jews and Gentiles, uh, to explain in greater detail what he meant by receiving one another in verse 7. So Paul's going to expand this thought in verse 7 through these uh, next uh, four or five verses here. Uh, Paul says that Jesus Christ came with a twofold purpose, one is a servant to the Jews, and second, to show mercy to the Gentiles. So we see that in verse 7 or verse 8. They're a servant of circumcision, the truth of God, and to confirm the promises, and that the Gentiles might glorify God for his mercy. And uh, the uh, notice here again, verse 8, Jesus came into the world born and raised as a Jew. Uh, he would have been considered one, uh, circumcision, uh, which is what was part of his uh, childhood. He practiced Judaism. He fulfilled the requirements of the law. Uh, he was, in all outward appearances, a Jew, uh, if you would, uh, whatever that uh, looks like, but he would be identified. Um, he, is, uh, he fulfilled the promises that were made in the Old Testament concerning the coming of the Messiah, uh, specifically in uh, Isaiah and in Deuteronomy those promises, the greater prophet, uh, Christ fulfilled all those. Um, Paul says um, uh, in verse 8 here, uh, we read uh, the words fathers. I think this goes all the way back to Abraham and, and uh, Eve, Adam and Eve in the garden. Uh, when, when we read this, uh, the circumcision, the truth of God confirmed the promises made to the fathers. I don't think it just goes back to Abraham. I think it goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden. Uh, anybody remember the promise made in the Garden of Eden? What was it? They call it the proto-gospel or the first gospel. Um, turn, turn back a minute to, um, to Genesis uh, 3.15. This is God's first promise made uh, to the, uh, in the Garden. In Genesis 3.15, after the fall, uh, God speaking here, he says, um, the Lord said in verse 14, so the Lord said to the serpent, because you have done this, you are cursed more than all the cattle and more than every beast of the field. And on your belly you shall go and you shall eat dust all the days of your life. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your seed and her seed. And this is the promise, the gospel. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And so that's the picture looking forth to Christ, that at the cross that Satan would bruise the heel of Christ and Christ would bruise or crush the head of Satan. Uh, and then uh, the fathers, obviously, uh, Genesis 12, uh, if you want to just look at that, um, there's um, promises made to Abraham uh, in that um, after Abraham uh, left, uh, he says in verse 7, uh, I will give your descendants this land 
and he built an altar. And then there was the promise given to Abraham, I will bless those that bless you and curse those that curse you. In you, all the nations of the earth will be blessed. Certainly a reference to the final coming of Christ uh, and the gathering of not just the Jews, but the Gentiles. It was Christ that, that gathered them. Uh, in the uh, book of Acts, uh, Peter proclaims this very thing. Uh, look at, turn to Acts chapter 3 uh, with me. Peter's sermon, it's interesting how he, he puts it here, uh, chapter 3, verse 25 and 26, uh, speaking to the Jews, you are sons of the prophet of the covenant which God made with your fathers, specifically God made a covenant with the Jews, and he says here, which God made with your fathers, and in your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed, who do you think that seed would be? Obviously, it's Jesus Christ, right? He was born, he came as a Jew, he lived as a Jew. To you first, God, having raised up his servant Jesus, so he identifies him here, sent him to bless you in turning away every one of you from your iniquities. So Christ came, obviously, to save the Jews. He was a Jew. It was made uh, the promises of God. Um, your descendants, all the families of the earth will be blessed uh, the, the Jews were given the covenants of God um, and uh, the promises. Um, the, uh, they, they were privileged or special as a people. They were chosen by God's sovereign grace, not because they were big or, or great or mighty or powerful, but God decided for his own purpose to set his love and to call out Abraham and to set his love on Abraham and then Isaac, and we've already looked at this, uh, Isaac and, and uh, not Ishmael, and to uh, Jacob and not Esau in chapters 9, 10, and 11. We saw this. So uh, it is God uh, who confirms his promises to the Jews and has kept them. Uh, on the other hand, God's promises were not exclusively to the Jews. Uh, it was always God's plan, and Paul calls it here God's mercy to extend the gospel to the Gentiles. That's, that was always the great plan of God, not just to the Jews only, but to the Gentiles. Uh, Matthew Henry says, the whole plan of redemption is suited to reconcile us to one another as well as to our gracious God. And so Paul is saying in the context of Jews and Gentiles living in the church, in the context of us who have differences with each other, in the great plan of God, it was to save Gentiles and Jews and to reconcile us not just to God, but to who? To each other, so that we can live in peace with each other, and we can communicate, and we can function as a body in peace. And, of course, we can glorify God and with one mouth and one voice and honor him with our actions as, as a body. Uh, and so Paul is making the application here to the churches at Rome, the same application he would make to us today. Right, live at peace uh, as much as lies within you. Uh, be at peace with one another. And then he, he, uh, he proceeds a quote from the Old Testament here, four passages. Um, he, uh, the bearing upon the ultimate and triumph uh, here um, of the Gentiles. He talks about the Gentiles in the next verses. 
Look at verses 4 through 12. For this reason I will confess to you among the Gentiles. I will sing to your name. He's quoting from, um, these are interesting texts from the Old Testament. Four promises given to the Gentiles. Um, I won't go into them completely, um, but... These are quotes from the Old Testament in verse 10. And again, he says, Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. Uh, And then to prove his point again, verse 11, Praise the Lord, all you Gentiles. Laud him, all ye peoples. And then again, Isaiah says, There shall be a root of Jesse, and he shall rise to reign over the Gentiles. In him the Gentiles shall have hope. So it was always the plan from the Old Testament scriptures, whatsoever things were written aforetime were written for our learning that we through patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. It was always the plan from the Old Testament scriptures and God's plan eternally to raise up the Jews, to also bring Christ through as a Jew, to save the Gentiles, and to bring to him uh, a people for himself. Uh, Notice here, uh, back in verse 6, the Uh, if you jump back there, uh, that you, who would that be? Jews and Gentiles may with one mouth and one mind glorify God, our Father, and our Lord Jesus Christ. So that's the overarching umbrella, practical for our congregation here. Obviously, uh, some very practical applications for us as individuals and people uh, within that uh, context here. So... um, any thoughts or comments before we move on? Again, keep in mind what Paul's trying to do here. He's trying to close out this letter. He's got a lot to say uh, to, uh, to the, the churches here. Uh, I'm, if you hear me say the word churches, uh, I haven't talked to Ty about this yet, but uh, what he's teaching in chapter 16, it seems to me that there's actually two churches in Rome, but uh, I... It, it's, I'm not going to die on that mountain, so I'll be interested to hear what he has to say. Uh, or two bodies, two, two uh, different uh, bodies that Paul's written this to. Um, anyway, look at verse 13. May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace and believing that you may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, Charles Ellicott says, hope, joy, and peace uh, form a triad which represent, represents the attitude of Christians and looking towards the future. We could have, as Christians, we could even say to Darla today, have joy, hope, and peace. Right? We can say that to her with confidence because whatsoever things were written beforehand were written for our learning. And so we can, with confidence, bring to her the promises of God. He says, the triad, which represents the attitude of Christians in looking towards the future. And so, as far as the future, it reflects on the present. Hope may be taken also as including the two others. So joy, hope, joy, and peace would probably, hope would come out of joy and peace. Uh, that's what he's saying uh, that our hope would have. Uh, and hope may be taken as including the two others. It is upon, uh, it is upon the certainty of the Messiah's promise that they all depend just as though uh, the constant energizing power of the Holy Spirit had, they, they were kept alive. Uh, I love this portion of verse 13, that they may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, that's what we have as believers. We're going to go through difficult times. We're going to go through difficult circumstances. 
We're going to go through times at churches. We're going to go through times with families uh, in our relationship with the world. And uh, Paul finally says, in believing that you may abound in hope, and this is a gift given by the power of the Holy Spirit. We've already seen the Holy Spirit discussed in chapter 8. Ty uh, brought us that. Paul brings him back in here uh, that our hope will not just be um, be a, a, a dull hope, but it will abound. We will rejoice. We'll be will be uh, grateful, thankful. It'll be a powerful hope uh, that we can have uh, here. Uh, the same Holy Scriptures are then applied to our hearts by the power of the Holy Spirit. Uh, we would um, be today without hope if it wasn't for the gospel. Right? There's a Hope is necessary for us to live. Hope is necessary for us to function. Um, In light of these things, I think it's right to ask ourselves, has the God of peace filled me with joy, peace, and faith by the power of the Holy Spirit? This is what Paul's prayer was for the church there, and this is the exhortation that we need to look at ourselves. Uh, Has the God of peace filled me with joy, peace, and faith uh, by the power or hope by the power of the Holy Spirit? And then verse 13 concludes uh, the last major section of this book uh, that started in chapter 14, verse 1. Uh, And so uh, Paul has kind of, he's going to change uh, focus here now through the rest of the chapter in verses 14 um, and uh, following actually all the way to the end of chapter 16. uh, He's going to take a different direction here. So any thoughts or comments about chapters 14, the first part of chapter 15, any, uh, anything that we can share with each other? Yes. I think that would become under perseverance and pressure and God brings trials into our lives for our good yeah I think I think that's that's good I think probably not biblical but there's biblical principles that we can draw from that and we can make that point so yeah all right um, the uh, the rest of the book uh, is kind of outlined I'm just going to run through it here a minute um, the, um, it, again, we learned that the weak and the strong brothers are both believers. Um, we, we need to be reminded of that, that just because somebody doesn't think exactly how we do or, or have the same exact views, especially on, on things that are not, um, that are not uh, hills to die on, uh, we need to be remind ourselves they're still uh, believers. Uh, be careful in our judgment of each other. Paul says in verse chapter 14, 4, God's the ultimate judge. We have to be really careful how we, we make judgments about somebody because they don't think exactly like we do. Uh, Romans 14, uh, 15, uh, sometimes we may have to set aside our own desires and even liberties for the good of others. There are times when we just have to bear one another, right? We have to bear and try to edify others, not pleasing ourselves as the great example of Christ. Um, 
number four, Romans 15 uh, uh, says, don't let your Christian liberty destroy another brother for whom Christ died. Uh, be really careful. Don't, don't destroy another brother. Be reminded that Christ died for them. Uh, it says in uh, chapter 19, let us pursue peace. Uh, not every theological discussion is always profitable. Uh, again, uh, we have to be careful. Let peace and edification be our guide. Uh, Paul says this in Romans uh, 14 and 15, verse 21. It's better to abstain from certain practices to offend another brother. These are all practical applications that Paul has given us, not just to the church at Rome, but to us individually and corporately. Um, number uh, nine, uh, or number seven here, the strong are called to bear or carry the load of the weak. If, if you think you're strong, then it's your responsibility. To, we ought to. Remember the word ought? It's a, it's a, it's a, we ought to. It's a responsibility to help the weak. It's not just an option. Certainly, it's not the responsibility to destroy them. Chapter 15, verse 2, our goal as believers should be to please and edify each other, not just our own interest. Uh, 15.7, despite our differences in areas of Christian liberty, we are called to receive and accept one another. Again, Jesus Christ himself was our great example. 15.13, uh, we need to keep our focus on God. He's called the God of hope. Uh, and uh, oftentimes we get wrapped up with a lot of other stuff within the congregation and forget about um, that God is a God of hope. Uh, in verse 11, uh, pursue, or excuse me, the number 11 here I'm written down, pursue peace. As the apostle was uh, closing his letter to the church of Corinth, uh, in chapter 13, 11, he writes this, Finally, brethren, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, Agree with one another, live in peace, and the God and love of peace will be with you. Uh, we also see that in Romans 8. Uh, so uh, we uh, read this in Romans 8, 17 through 19. Repay no one for evil. Have regard for good things in the sight of all men. If it is possible, as much depends on you, live peaceably with men. Beloved, do not avenge yourselves, but rather give place for wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Um, and so, uh, after all the theological lessons and discussions given in chapters 1 through 11, Paul chooses to close out his letter uh, by some difficult exhortations for us. And I think we need to take them to heart um, and ask the Holy Spirit to do a, a work in us. Again, this is why he says in Romans 12, 1 and 2, in this context, it's a renewing of our mind. We need to think differently. We need to act differently uh, as uh, believers. Uh, he says, don't be conformed to this world, specifically worldly thinking, uh, but transform your minds that you may prove what is good and acceptable of God. Um, let me make a couple practical points here. You may don't want to hear him, that's all right. I, I do have, uh, the, the teacher gets a little bit of liberty here. Um, let me use the example of two controversial topics in modern evangelical church. There's many I could bring up, uh, just two that, are, that, I, that I hear about a lot. Um, often the topic of co 
um, music comes up a lot, uh, specifically contemporary versus traditional. And then the other topic that's very prevalent is this integrated family worship uh, that you hear about a lot. Um, you may have strong beliefs or convictions one way or another in both of these areas, and I, I can't change those convictions or thoughts. Um, this would be this would be my practical advice. I'm I'm older than and a lot of you. Um, I would just say this: if if this or one other area in your life is uh, if you're looking for a church. Uh, that would be considered contemporary music, or maybe they would be uh, considered non-family integrated worship. Be very careful uh, which side uh, you're coming when you're coming into an existing congregation. Uh, be careful if you're coming from the outside into a new congregation. Um, what happens is a lot of times people come in that um, with good intentions, whether congregation or leadership, and, and what often happens is, is disunity, disharmony, and, um, and I'm not taking a position that one of these are worse or good or bad or the other. All I'm saying is be careful uh, when you try to force your will on an existing congregation. And um, the, uh, I've seen it uh, happen time and time again where there's church splits eventually uh, because of this. Um, and you may be, in all your opinions and minds, thinking that you're correct, uh, but uh, just be very careful. So I would give that as a little bit of advice. Uh, if you don't like it, you can tell me later. Uh, but uh, that's my thoughts. All right, any, any thoughts on, on where we're at? Again, seek unity as much as possible, much as lies within you. All right. Uh, just, I'm going to take Hendrickson's... Um, outline here and then we'll close this uh, this week with this uh, the rest of uh, chapter 15 verses 14 through the end of chapter 16 uh, Paul's got a lot of things to say and so you can imagine he's closing this letter out and he starts going boom 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 uh, just some some things he's going to say uh, in the uh, uh, he's got these closing commendations and his explanation of boldness in writing the letter. We'll see that in verses 15 through 17. Uh, we have Paul's review of the past. In chapter 15, 23 through 29, Paul lays out his plan for the future. What, is he, what does he want to do? Uh, chapter 15, 30 through 33, Paul's personal prayer request. Chapter 16, 1 through 16, Paul's commendation of Phoebe and their gen his general greetings. And in Romans 16, 17 through 20, Paul gives his final warning. And then uh, Paul gives his personal greetings to a friend. And then uh, Romans 16, 25, Paul closes his letter out with a doxology. So over the next couple of weeks, we'll start looking at that. Uh, if you have any thoughts or questions, uh, please see me afterwards. So thank you. You're dismissed.